Publisher Podcast, Episode 75. Welcome to the Publish Her Podcast, a place where you can come to get inspiration, motivation, help, encouragement, and support in your journey to write, publish, and sell your book, hosted by Alexa Bigwarf. Well, welcome back to another podcast episode, and I am so excited to talk to you today. I have just returned from really what can only be described as a dream experience. Um, the experience of a lifetime, really. I've been planning this for a year and um, knew as I was writing my book that I wanted to go back to Paris to see the sights, feel the feels, smell the smells to help me write the book even better than I could based just off of my memories. So today I want to provide some insights into my writing experience as this is my first time writing a fiction book. I've written plenty of nonfiction books and assisted many, many authors through their nonfiction books, fiction as well too, but it's a whole different ballgame when you're actually writing it. So give some insights into that, give some insights into the marketing and talk a little bit about some of those big things that come up and along the way, um, implementing marketing in the process, when you need to start, all of those fun things. So, all right, let's get into it. So first of all, a little bit of background. Um, Most of you know me as the host of this podcast or the host of the Women in Publishing Summit or a publisher and author coach through Write, Publish, Sell. And along that journey, um, for those of you who know my whole journey, it started out with grief and loss writing, then parenting writing, moved into the entrepreneur field, and eventually started working with all sorts of different authors. But I had yet to accomplish my big dream, which is to write my own fiction book. So about, well, in honesty, it's been about 10 years in the making because I actually started this story 10 years ago walked away from it for a very long time and about two years ago decided you know what I really want to write this fiction book and I want to write tons of fiction books but no matter what I tried to focus on this particular story just kept bringing me back so I guess lesson one is that sometimes even if you are looking to write to a certain market or even if you have some ideas in mind if If you've got something that's on your heart and mind like I did with this book, I just couldn't move forward until I actually wrote this story. So one of the first things that I did, knowing that it was probably going to land in the rom-com or contemporary romance, I reached out to one of my friends and colleagues, Kirsten Oliphant, who's a very successful rom-com writer under the name Emma St. Clair, and asked her if um, if she'd be willing to work with me because this was such new territory for me. I did this for a couple of reasons. One, I needed the accountability. Um, as any of you who are working full-time know, it can be very, very hard to squeeze in writing a book in addition to everything else that you're doing. So I knew that I needed somebody to hold me accountable and to provide the right kind of feedback. I knew that I was thinking about writing in the genre that she was in and um, and and she willingly um, gave me some of her time and we worked through the process of getting this first draft written. So the first draft was terrible, I'm just going to tell you, which leads me to another lesson and that is making sure that you have enough 
time when it comes to writing a book. So one of the biggest things I've discovered in my journey recently is how easy it is to fall into the comparison trap and how easy it is to see other successful authors and if we don't have that immediate kind of success, feel down about it. But I want to tell you that all the successful authors that I've interviewed either on this podcast or through the summit or have met at conferences and all of those things, they didn't just get there overnight and it generally was not their first book. So if you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself or feeling down that your first book isn't having the sales or the results that you wanted to have, well, let's make sure we're setting realistic expectations. First off, with our first book, generally we don't have an audience or not a large enough audience to see the kind of results that that we're seeing other authors post and talk about. So we have to be super realistic in our expectations of what's going to happen. Um, you have to have a, either a lot of money put into marketing or an already existing fan base, and neither of those tend to exist in your first book. So keep that in mind and understand that your first book is your launching point to your career. It's something to get you started. It's your learning point. It's all of the things that are going to help you. And generally, you're not going to come out the gate the best writer that ever graced this planet. Nobody does. Not even the most famous authors we knew hit it out of the park with their very first book. Many of them have been writing for years and publishing books you may or may not have ever even heard of before they got to that point. Experimenting, growing their craft, seeing what works, working and getting feedback. Um, and this process was a whole lot longer than I thought it would be. I was looking at other authors and I'm seeing them publish three, four, six, ten books a year and thinking, Okay, I should be able to do this in six months, right? I, I'm, a, I'm a professional in the publishing industry. I'm a writer. I can do this. Well, two years later, I'm here to tell you that if you've never written fiction before and you're not trained in fiction, you, haven't, you don't have an MFA, you haven't been writing creatively, you haven't been writing short stories, you haven't been doing all of those things, you probably need a lot of work to get it where it needs to go. So while I went through this writing coaching with Kirsten, which took a year uh, on, in all honesty, but thank goodness for that accountability because I knew every Friday we were going to meet and go over the writing that I did, which was largely terrible, but she was so patient with me. But it helped me to get that story out. But it took me a year to get through just writing the first draft. Then I moved on to the developmental editing phase. So... As a writer, you're going to need different levels of editing depending on what you're writing. With my nonfiction, I generally don't go through a developmental editor because I can fairly easily map out and outline and include all the important things that I need to know. I'm teaching or providing information to people. I'm not developing characters. I'm not developing great scenery. I'm not doing all of these things that take more time. So with the fiction book, I knew before I did anything else, I needed to work with a developmental editor to make me really dig into the details and flesh out all of the things. And I am so glad that I did. Um, in case you're curious, I hired Jen Milius, who I met through the Women in Publishing Summit, and she has just been amazing. She's been my confidant. She's been my cheerleader. She's been my my guide to take this book from a really, really rough first draft and make it a book that people actually want to read. The bones of the story were there. I had a good story, but I did not know how to develop it. And Jen, through two really, really intense rounds of editing, 
helped me get the book to a point where I could then send it to beta readers. But the book was far from finished, and I knew this. I had been working on it, and this is part of what I was doing in Paris. I I knew, as I mentioned in the beginning, that I needed more details to help me really get the book correct. It's called Four Days in Paris. It's based, it's a love story based on a girl who's been living in Paris for six months. She's getting ready to go back to the States, and on New Year's Eve 1999, she meets somebody. And in four days, they fall in love. Or do they? You'll have to find out. (laughs) Just kidding. But anyway, I knew that I needed help with the description. So on the nonfiction side, prescriptive writing, it's a lot easier, I feel. Some people have an easier time with fiction and, and the nonfiction is hard for them. But for me, it doesn't take that much time to sit down and write out all my knowledge. For example, working on Ditch the Fear and Just Publish It. It doesn't take me that much time to sit down and write out all the things that I know about publishing. It comes naturally. I know this content. I can sit down, I can write it out, and I'll, of course, use a copy editor to make sure that the words and grammar are good, but I don't need someone to go through and make sure that the book is is developed the way that it needs to be. So, um, you know, doing this with a fiction book, I knew in order to really make the scenery pop, because Paris is a character in the book, the, the sights, the scenes, the food, the people, the smells, the sounds, all of it, I, wanted, I want my reader to feel like they are in Paris with me. So I needed to go back and revisit some of these places. The book is based on a real event that happened to me when I was actually living in Paris, but that was 20 some years ago. And um, as I found out, as I was wandering around Paris, my brain had rearranged things in my memory. And looking up on Google, even Google Maps and Googling and all those types of things, they helped me with some details, but it didn't help me enough to really get into the point where I could write those those descriptions out for it. Some people are able to do that. I wanted to go back and see it. And I'm really glad that I did because like I said, there were entire scenes that I've written about that I had things just backwards in my mind and memory. Now granted, it's been over 20 years, so some of the stuff has changed. So that kind of threw me for a loop too because now I was like, okay, did this look like this 20 years ago? <laughs> Luckily for the most part, things haven't changed that much in Paris. But I digress. So I went back to Paris so that I could visit these places, so that I could be in the moment again, and so that I could use those to really help me create the emotions behind the things that I was describing. So I spent some time tweaking and revising, using all of Jen's great comments and feedback to really improve the book, to improve the characters. That's the other thing. People have to care about your characters or they're not going to read the book. And I, I really had to put a lot of time and energy in doing that. So from a timeline perspective, Jen and I started working on developmental edits. I want to say in January of 2022. It is now August of 2022. Now granted, I run the Women in Publishing Summit, so basically my February, March, and April are off the chains busy, so I didn't have a lot of time and energy to put in there. But once I started digging back into those developmental edits, I would say it took me a solid two months to um, go through that first round of changes and then the second round of changes. And on the one hand, taking that time off when I was running the conference was really good for me. And that's another point that I wanna bring up is that allow yourself some time 
for rest and reflection. Because if you are just powering through, there's a lot of things you may miss or or may not fully develop if you're rushing to get the book done too fast. A lot of this popped up to me as I was thinking about the book kind of subconsciously along the way. I had ideas for scenes and for changes in character development and for concepts and ideas that I hadn't included in there, guided by my developmental editor's feedback, but also just the time and reflection to go back and say, is this story going the way that I want it to go? And are the things happening that I want to have happen? So time was good. And if you can allow yourself the time once you send it to a developmental editor, obviously it's going to take them some time, but to to back off, to take some time away, to rest from that project, I think is really helpful. So after the conference, after WIP school launched, after all of these things happened, I really got back to working on my book, I would say sometime around April, April or May. Originally, I thought I was going to launch this book in August, which was the real reason that I planned a trip to be in Paris in August because I wanted to have my book launch there. I mean, how cool would that be to launch your book? So I let my friends know and I started planning this trip and doing all the things. And around that April, May timeframe, I realized this book still needed a lot of work. Now this is the beauty and wonder of self-publishing because we are completely in control of our deadlines. Yes, I'd been telling my audience, the small audience that it is for this book, that the book was going to publish in August. Yes, I'd been making all of these plans, but I decided there was absolutely no way I could get the book into the shape that I needed it to be by August. So I made the decision to use the time that I'd already planned in Paris for my book launch to be book writing. I suppose I should have started with that because I'd forgotten that that's the timeline of events. But yes, that's why I was in Paris in the first place was because that was going to be my original launch date. But I was so grateful that I pushed the date back and I pushed it back. Originally, I was going to do October and then I was like, I'm not even sure I can make that happen realistically just based on how long it's taking me to do all of this stuff. And I really want to get it through the proper processes to make sure it's ready for publication. So I decided to launch in December. So Four Days in Paris is launching on December 6th. It is up for pre-order. I did not set the pre-order up until I knew for sure a date that I felt comfortable reaching. That's another thing. Don't set up your pre-order for your Kindle book on Amazon until you are pretty confident that you can hit that date because of two reasons. One, one, you can always backdate a, a publication date. So for example, if by some miracle I was able to get this book done by November 6th, I could back up the date. But I think that would be silly for a couple of reasons because I'm gonna need the marketing time. This is my first fiction book. I don't have a large audience. I need the time to build that advanced reader team. I need to be getting reviews and early reviews and, and doing all the things. So I feel comfortable with the December date. The second thing is that if you can't make the date and you miss your publication, KDP strips your right to put a book on pre-order for a full year. That's a huge repercussion for not making a date. You can postpone your publishing date one time for 30 days. If you absolutely have to, that's the route to do rather than publishing something that's not ready. But 30 days is not a lot of time. So I wanted to make sure that I set it out far enough that I could actually meet the deadline. Okay, so back to where we are in the process. So I went to Paris. Um, 
I call this, I originally was going to, to record this podcast episode from Paris, but another point I want to make is that you never seem to have as much time as you think you're going to have. I had all these big plans. Not only was I going to finish this book, I was going to start researching for my next book. I was going to do all of this marketing. I was going to, um, you know, be be doing all the things, growing all the things and, and just preparing myself for this magnificent launch. Well, in reality, I spent a lot of time. I did spend some time writing, not as much as I wish I could have. I spent a lot of time visiting places. I met up with friends and I took a break. I did the things that I wanted to do, but it turned out I did not have enough time and did not record this podcast episode. So now here I am back at home recording it for you with for you with all of my um, insights and things that I have learned along the way. Okay, so once I got home, I did get the book far enough into place in in Paris. I did get far enough that I felt comfortable sending it to my beta readers. Now, for those of you who have never gone through this process, let's talk about the role of beta readers. Beta readers are not editors, but they can be. Beta readers are not advanced readers. Beta or beta readers, as our overseas, as our English um, audience calls it, are those folks that you want to make sure know enough about writing or if it's a nonfiction book about your topic, are your target audience, are people that can provide your last line of really good feedback from people to help you strengthen the book before you send it to editing. So this has its pros and cons doing beta readers before editing because what I've noticed uh, a few of my beta readers, first of all, thankfully, they have all loved the story, so that's great, but they are giving me such critical feedback on things about the characters, things about the timeline, things about the setting, things, all the things, uh, so that I can really improve the book. And you want to do this before you send it to beta readers because it can save you a lot of time and energy with editing. Plus, if you have it copy edited and then send it to beta readers and they basically uh, provide feedback that results in a bunch of changes, now you've got to send the book back through copy editing again because you've rewritten a bunch of a bunch of content, content, excuse me. So the one thing I would say I wish I had done, but I, I had just gotten to the end of my rope basically and was like, okay, y'all, I've, I've gone as far as I can go on this one. I need your input. I need your help. I do wish though I had run it through pro writing aid before I sent it to them because I also don't want to waste the time of my beta readers. Now I gave them the caveat that the book has not been edited and or copy edited. It's been developmentally edited but not copy edited. So, you know, excuse typers, typos, grammar errors and those kinds of things. And that's fine. A couple of them took that advice and they skipped all the way through that. But mistakes and Things like that can be distracting. And a couple of my beta readers just can't help themselves and are doing copy edits for me, which I appreciate tremendously. Um, But I didn't want them to have to spend that much time on it. Ideally, you want a short turnaround time for your beta readers, one to two weeks, because in your overall timeline, you've now got to take this feedback that's coming from three, four, six people. I would not encourage you to have more than five or six beta readers because too much feedback from too many people is just going to be confusing and overwhelming. But you've got you've got to have the timeline to do this. So if you don't have a fairly well-polished manuscript and they're having to feel like they have to spend a lot of time to slow down and do copy edits or notice all of these things, 
um, you know, it takes away from their time and it takes away from their ability to provide the feedback that you really want, at least in my opinion, that you really want from beta readers, which is character development, settings, scenes, um, flows, all those types of things where you want them to be focused on, not whether or not you've repeated the same word a thousand times or are having issues with different things along those lines. Um, one of my beta readers sent me, as an example, one of the things that Pro Writing Aid is really good at doing is helping you figure out repeated words, unnecessary words, all of those types of things. And um, she noticed that there were several words, uh, she sent me a whole list of words actually, embarrassingly enough, of uh, words that I used multiple times, not two or three times, but in some cases like 20 times, a word that just does not need to be used 20 times throughout the book. So I highly encourage you to take the time to run it through pro writing aid if nothing else for a grammar check and for a repeated words check things like that to help you tighten it up a little bit before you send it to the beta readers so in my process right now i've re i've received final feedback from um two of the six beta readers and i've got a couple that are still in there and giving me feedback so my next time chunk is going to be going through and implementing all of the changes some of the changes i won't make because here's the thing and you should keep this in mind as well authors have different styles of writing right so if someone sends you a bunch of feedback and and they're writing it the way they would write it which just doesn't necessarily fit your writing style or the writing style of your genre, which is important if you're using beta readers who don't write in your genre, they may not know what the what the norms and standards are. They may not know that it's, it's perfectly acceptable to write in a more um, talk, uh, the way you would talk as opposed to more formal writing, et cetera, et cetera. So you may get that feed, you may receive feedback that isn't 100% um, in line with what you want to do with the book. And those are your decisions to make. And in my case, with some of those that I'm not sure about, I'm going to run them um, through uh, the feedback of my editor and just say, what do you think? Do you agree with this or not agree with this? This is information I got back from my beta reader. I'm not sure if I should ignore it. What do you think? And have the editor make the final, the copy editor make the final call on some of those types of things. But most of the feedback is tremendous. The funniest feedback, I will have to say, came from Elizabeth Ducey, who is an author that you may be very familiar with as she's been a speaker on our summit. Um, but she, she um, pointed out that it had been several days and I had never mentioned the character ever taking a shower. I, I talk about her getting dressed and picking out her clothes and doing this. And she's like, poor Julian, who's the name of the of the male lead in the book. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. First of all, I had a scene where she took a shower, especially because the shower in the tiny little apartment she lives in is a pretty funny thing. But when I was cutting stuff that I thought was just irrelevant details, I cut that. So comments like that are important because they're things that your reader would think about, right? So clearly as she's reading this story, she's like, why is this girl never showering? Well, of course she's showering. I just never wrote about it. But if that's something that a reader points out, maybe other readers would notice it too. So 
obviously not everybody puts shower scenes in all of their books, but when you're talking about getting dressed and what you're doing and all those kinds of things and you never mention any kind of hygiene in that process, it may be worth including. So those are kind of uh, fun things that I'm getting back. Lots of things, um, lots of description things that I could improve or make better, things that don't make sense that a character does this or that. if the character focuses too much on one element or not another, these are the great kinds of feedback that I'm getting from them. But it's gonna take me some time to implement these. So I have blocked out time in my schedule, two days that it's just for me, and hopefully two days is enough. It may take more time than that, so luckily I have enough of a timeline um, built in that if I need three days, I can do three days. So the next part of my process is um, Jen has gracefully agreed to go back through and do one more third round of, of developmental edits just to make sure that once I implement all of these changes, it doesn't throw anything off. So we're going to hopefully do just a quick round to pick up anything lingering, and then it will go to the copy editor. So my copy editor, in case you're wondering who I'm using, is Dakota Knight. I have used Dakota um, through my business, Write, Publish, Sell, for years. She's one of the best line editors I have ever worked with, and I'm both excited and terrified to get it in front of her because I know what her work is like, and um, I know that she is very, she pays very close attention to detail, and I'm kind of a little terrified of the work that I will have to do after that, but my hope is that between workshopping it and um, getting the feedback from the beta readers and really taking my time to revise and doing a really, um, really heavy developmental edits that it will be in fairly good shape. And before I send it to her, I most definitely will run it through Pro Writing Aid again to clean up some of the stuff that AI can clean up for me without having to waste my editor's time. So that's the writing process. And the next piece that I really want to talk about is Well, first of all, let me just say, the reason I went into such detail on that, for those of you who are already in the process, you probably are well familiar with that entire process, right? But that was, I feel, important for the new writers who are listening and for the support personnel that are listening so that they understand um, what their writers are going through through this process, especially if you're coaching writers on timelines, you know, making sure that they know and understand that even if they finish the book, I finished the book last year. I finished the book probably in, I don't know, December. Um, So, or maybe even earlier than that. So it can be a very long time frame, and people need to know and have this expectation and realization that if they're not a, if they're not full time committed to this book, which I am not, I run a very demanding business. I have a family. I am not a full time writer, although I can't wait for the day that that happens. Um, but you know, I have to get some books out there that are making some money before that can happen, right? So anyway, it's important to know and understand this, or for those of you who are switching genres, maybe you've written nonfiction like I have, or you've written some children's books, and now you're ready to explore the fiction route. Having a realistic expectation of timelines and the things that happen in that process, I think are super important. So I wanna talk a little bit about marketing now, um, because this is a huge piece of it. We get asked all the time, do I really have to spend all of my time on social media? So one of the things that I have been doing, because I teach the importance of of social media all the time, and that was I wanted to really 
for the first time because I haven't been a fiction author before, kind of practice what I preach so that I can make sure that I understand why, you know, that I that I, I, I've learned things, I know things through what we've been doing, I see results, but I've never done it myself. And I think it's always different when you are the user because I can look at case studies, I can see what my authors are doing, but if I'm not the one actually doing it, I don't know with the time, the results, and all of those things. So here's what I believe about social media. I believe it's critical. I believe it is absolutely critical for indie authors to have a presence on social media. But what you do with your presence on social media can vary from person to person. We have some authors that are out there absolutely killing it with their posts, with their content, with their engagement. They're taking the time to do all of those types of things, but that doesn't fit everybody's lifestyle. I thought I was gonna have the time to do that. And guess what? I didn't have the time to go out there, engage, and do all the things. So I'm learning now how to do the other method that we teach people. And that is to really focus on using the people that already have platforms out there to, to make connections with those folks and to have them help me do this. So who are those people? Well, it can be other authors, and while I don't encourage you to spend all your time or a huge chunk of your time following other authors and engaging with other authors on social media, um, it is important to create relationships with those other authors so that you can do cross promotions and support each other in other fun ways. Um, and we could spend hours talking about how you could do that, but I want to dig into the more important piece, which is finding, following, and engaging with the book lovers who are out there, who have audiences of readers. You don't need audiences, and this is the one positive thing of your author friends. If you're engaging with them and commenting and following, hopefully you're also seeing who else is commenting and following and following their readers and making relationships with their readers. But there are a lot of just phenomenal bookstagrammers out there. Um, TikTokers too, so I'm talking primarily about Instagram right now, but all of these apply to other platforms as well. It's just a matter of applying them to those platforms under the rules of engagement of those platforms, if you understand. So on Instagram, tons of bookstagrammers. They're out there, just their job, their life, their passion, their love is to talk and share about books. But like everyone else, they get a lot of requests they have a lot of books that they want to read that they're seeing from other people creating noise about them. And it's very challenging as a first-time author to get a big-name person to cover your book. They don't know anything about you. But if you're taking the time and engaging with them and creating a relationship when you have the time to do this, at least they'll recognize your name when you pitch them. So that's what I've been doing. I've been spending some time trying to follow reader accounts and using reader hashtags. On my own personal Alexa Bigwarf Instagram, I use the hashtags authors of Instagram, am writing, uh, writing community, I love writing, all of those types of things because my audience for my business is writers. But on my Lexi Haddock author Instagram account, I'm really trying to focus on the hashtags that I know that the readers would be following. So hashtag closed door romance, hashtag sweet romance, hashtag readers of Instagram instead of authors of Instagram. Um, 
hashtag travel romance, all the things that come along with my book that I know that readers are going to be following, not authors. I'm not doing author follow loops. I'm If I do author, I will be doing author shares, but I'm going to be reading books that I know my audience would like um, or the people that I want to be in my audience would like and building those relationships with those authors and sharing about their books for two reasons, to pull in readers that would like those types of books, but also to create relationships with those authors because I would love one day to be able to do cross promo, author newsletter swaps, um, group promos and all those types of things with other authors who have the audience I wanna get in front of. And so I'm doing what I can to build those relationships. The other thing that I will be doing is using companies and tools that already have built the readership behind them. So your Instagram tours, like Love Book Tours is one that we use regularly through Write, Publish, Sell with our authors and through our Cat Biggie Press and Purple Butterfly Press authors. They curate audiences of readers and they organize everything. All you have to do is send the books to the addresses and give the ebook to the rest of them. They do all the rest of the work. These people then are scheduled for a specific date and time. They go out, they post um, pictures of your book or the cover, and they review your book. And they are good at doing this. So they know what kinds of hashtags to use. They know how to um, talk about it to their readers. So I'll be using some of those as well while I'm building my audience. And this is a great tool for helping you build your audience because generally they follow you, they tag you, and you'll get other followers of readers through this type of activity as well. So for those of you who are sweating just day in and day out on how do I create enough content on my social media to grow my account and, and to do all of these types of things, I'm going to backtrack a little bit on what I have traditionally um, taught, which is how to create content to find your readers and to do all those types of things. And I'm going to say, if that's a frustration for you, if you're not seeing anything happen from it, I'm going to encourage you to spend your time focusing on people that already have audiences and tools and um, and and bookstagrammers and tours and all those types of things that already have the audience and allow them Yes, it costs money in many cases. These tours are not free. You do have to pay anywhere between 250 and 500 or more dollars depending on what you're doing and what all is included, but it's a worthwhile investment. Now, the next question I always get from people on this is what's the return on investment? Like, are you gonna see enough book sales to get that money back? The reality is you may not. It's very hard to see um, book sales for a first-time author who's unknown that bring in enough money to get that back. So you might say to yourself, okay, then why would I want to invest the money? And that's a good question. And my answer to you on that is because you're building your social proof. If they even follow you, that's a good sign because then you can create content that gets those readers to want to know more about your book, even if they already reviewed it, um, you know, or didn't, or just saw somebody's review post but didn't buy your book is probably a better example. If they're in your world now because of that review and eventually buy your book or maybe buy your second book or maybe go look for it in the library or post about it or do anything, it's good for you. The second piece of it that's so important is reviews, both on Goodreads and Amazon. Those reviews are more important to you than book sales in the beginning because other people will buy your book more once they have reviews to buy from. Once they see reviews is what I mean to say. Um, 
a book with no reviews is going to be very difficult to sell. So this is like that that social proof that I was talking about earlier and that when we look at other authors who are doing really well, it's not because they put out an amazing book the first time. It's because of their efforts and marketing to grow that reader base and to grow fans. And over the course of multiple books, they've gotten to the point, and, and I'm talking largely fiction here. Nonfiction can be a completely different beast when you're doing when you're doing this. But when you're talking about the fiction books and, and a lot of books in general, it's the fact that they have an audience built, they have fans, they have readers, they have people who are talking about their books that leads to other people buying those books. So, you know, in the scope of things, it's really important for you to find readers, to find people to talk about your book and to promote your book and to connect those relationships with reader audiences that will then find the book, see other people reading the book, and um, and get the book themselves. With fiction, this is why Kindle Unlimited can be such a great tool because through Kindle Unlimited, you can do the free downloads, you can do, um, it's in Kindle Select, people can check out your book without having to pay for it and they can give you a, a chance without necessarily having to buy the book. However, for a lot of authors, this is very disgruntling. You've put in all this time, energy, effort, money, emotions, all the things, and when you don't see massive sales in the beginning, it can be very, very disheartening. But I want to remind everybody that the first book is often, in a fiction in a fiction world, is often not going to be thousands of copies and reviews. It's your starting point, as I mentioned before, where when you add that next book and that next book and that next book, and you're you're getting those readers, you're getting that fan base, you're growing your social media, you're in, you're engaging with readers, you're doing all of those things then more people hear about the book, more people come in, and they may not come in until book five or six or 10, but if they like what they read, they'll go back and they'll get your backlist. And that's where people start making a lot of money as authors, is when people go back and they come in in a book in your series, they really like it, and they go back and they buy other books from you. So I'm not only you know preaching this to everybody else, I'm reminding myself of this as well, that while I want this obviously to be successful, and it can be successful, I'm not saying that first books are never successful, I'm just saying that um, you know to, to, to compare yourself to an author who's making a full-time living and has 15, 20 books, even eight or 10 books out there, it's a completely different ball game for launching that first book. So the marketing piece in growing early readers and getting advanced reviews in getting in front of reader groups in promoting it to avid readers in setting your book up in a way where those folks are going to find your book and read your book, that's what's important for you to be doing. Not being so caught up on being the number one uh, Amazon book that day or having millions of sales in the first week or month. It's about building relationship and building a following and continuing to write and publish more books. So one of the other things that I'm doing is this is going to be a series. Something that's really popular in fiction books right now, especially the rom-com contemporary romance categories is having a series of books 
um, in, in on, a, on a subject matter. So either you're writing, it doesn't have to be the same characters, but you can be writing a bunch of books that are similar in nature, like you're writing a bunch of um, of billionaire romances, for example. But one thing that's become really popular amongst a lot of the, the rom-com in particular is having a series of books that flows through the friend group. So for example, in my book one, Callie is the main character and Julian is the love interest. But there's two other female friends, Lila and Emily, and there's other males in the book. So book two, which I'm already writing and setting up for, and by the time the book publishes, it will be available on pre-order, book two is going to follow Lila's story. So this is a popular thing to do and very successful because people get invested in your characters in the book and then they want to know what happens next. So by writing book two about Lila and then writing book three about Emily, I'm hopefully guaranteeing that the people who really liked this first book are going to want to see what happens in the lives of the other characters. And a lot of other authors are doing this right now where you're seeing books come out, a whole series of books that cover all the characters and from their point of view on what's happening. So all that to say, thinking about the marketing early on is really important and how you're going to find those readers and get in front of those readers and continue to build momentum on what you've already created. And this is not easy. And boy, I do hope that it does not take me two years to finish the second book because that's a problem too. Like your readers will forget about you in that time frame if you're not putting out or at least marketing or or providing teasers and all that kind of stuff for what's to come. So... <clears throat> been talking for a while now and basically I just I wanted to have the opportunity to to share my experience as as a writer as a fiction writer as a romance writer um, coming out in to the with the first book in a series and why it was important for me to plan to go why why I needed to be in the setting and again my book is heavily focused on the setting like Paris and the Eiffel Tower they're huge pieces of this book if I'd written a book on my hometown obviously I wouldn't have needed to travel to Paris to finish my book or to do any of the things although I highly recommend everyone travel to Paris at some point in time but you you know it, the, the long and short of it is that you need to determine what are the important elements for you and the most important part is that you give yourself the time and space and for some of us who are working other jobs full-time or, or our full-time caregivers or all of those things, it's very hard to carve out the space. So when you don't, when you aren't able to carve out the space, then you need to make sure that you're giving yourself a timeline that makes sense and doing the things that will help you, whatever that timeline is, to get as far ahead as possible and to create as much buzz as possible. So I hope some of the pointers and going over my experiences and what I've been going through are helpful, um, especially to the fiction writers in the crew or to anyone else who's marketing. And I just, I really, really, really want to end this on a note of, of saying, I'm with you. I understand if you're struggling. While I was gone, I received several emails from people who were just really disheartened with lack of sales in their first book. And... 
I want to remind people that we have to stop, as as new authors, we have to stop comparing ourselves to the successes of people who've been around and doing this for a long time. There's no way on my first launch that I could ever have the same type of launch as somebody who's got 15 books out there and has been building their author, their reader community for years. It's just not going to happen uh, unless I was famous, and I'm not famous. So you know, keeping those things in mind and just realizing that if you are in this for the long haul, then you need to make plans for the long haul. One of the things we talk about in WIP school and our our focus in WIP school really is creating authors who are business savvy, who understand how to plan for that long term, who understand that it's it is like running it is running a business and and doing the business type things to set yourself up for success and not just thinking because and your book may be wonderful. It could be a great book, but one great book all by itself without all the other things is still not going to get you to that success platform as an indie author. The other thing we can't do is compare ourselves to traditionally published authors and their success or not success, whatever, um, on, on an initial launch because as indie authors, we don't have the connections and the backbone and the support network that a large publisher is putting um, behind an author. So in the traditional world, you know, you get picked up, you get publicity, you get marketing that we just don't have, you get inroads and connections that we as indie authors just don't have. We don't have that mega house behind us uh, creating the things and the pathways for us. We're doing it all on our own. And sometimes that means it's going to take us more time, more personal investment, more creativity in what we're doing, more outside of the box thinking. And um, it's been a lot of fun to, to go through this journey because I've understood the publishing side very, very well. We know how to launch books. Um, I understand the nonfiction writing and obviously the children's book with our, with our children's book company. Like I've done those things. I've worked with fiction authors before, but I've never been in their shoes. So now I am in the fiction author's shoes and it's teaching me all kinds of cool things. And I just want to end this on a high note to say, um, it's exciting, but it is work. It is it is work, but it's fun work, even though it sometimes can be tedious and okay, there's some parts of it that aren't fun at all. But in the end of the day, at the end of the day, the coolest thing that happened to me when I was in Paris, and this can be, your Paris can be anywhere. Maybe it's you go to a, a, a lake house for a weekend or a hotel for a weekend. But after spending two days where literally all I did was write and revise and then go see a place that I needed to make sure um, I had the details down correctly for. But like after a couple of days of doing that, I realized how badly I wanted this dream of being a successful writer to come true and that this I, there's a lot of things that make me happy. The Women in Publishing Summit makes me happy. Collaborating with other authors and publishers and, and experts in the industry makes me happy. Sharing knowledge makes me happy. But having a writing lifestyle made me just joyous. And I look forward to figuring out how to make that more of a, of a reality for myself. And I know that part of that means... Um, having a solid plan with timelines and deadlines and understanding the marketplace and understanding the reader base and understanding how to get in front of them. So 
that's what I learned in Paris and well a lot more than just Paris along the whole route and I look forward to continuing to share the journey with you um, if you're interested in books set in 1999 with characters in their early 20s um, if you love travel and um, Paris and adventure and love and all of those types of things, I'm just going to go ahead and say Four Days in Paris is on pre-order, at least for the Kindle version right now. The paperback should be on pre-order, hopefully, before too long. But, um, you know, if that's of your of your interest, I would love that. I'll also be looking for ARC readers coming up in the future, and we'll definitely share more about that. But I would love to hear from you, like what your biggest struggles have been in your journey, what your aha moments were, um, where you turned the corner, if you will, like if you were struggling and, and what happened to, to get you to the next place or, or anything you want to share about, you can email us at support at womeninpublishingsummit.com and I will look at those questions and be sure to answer them in an upcoming episode. So I hope you've been enjoying the podcast. Um, We brought in a lot of great experts. We will continue our author series where we're talking to authors and their frustrations, struggles, happiness, joys, things that they've learned, um, tools, resources, all of those fun things. If you love it and haven't reviewed us yet or subscribed to us, I I would really appreciate it if you would do both of those things. Feel free to share it within your author or publishing community if you would like. And um, we'll be back next week with another really great episode. Thanks, and just keep on the path to your dream, y'all. It's been a long road to get here, um, and it's far from over, but I am super excited. I, I am just, I'm really excited about what's happening now, and this feeling when, when it is your dream to be a writer, um, there's really no better feeling than as you really finish and hone and and get a really well done book out into the world so happy writing and happy marketing and we'll see you next week thank you for joining us on the publisher podcast we hope to see you back for the next episode great huge thanks goes to jasmine commerce for the use of her song you can find jasmine on soundcloud go check out all of her music we'll see you next time